This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. Life may seem like it's pretty much back to normal in this post-pandemic world, but for many pandemic kids or bunker babies, all those missed social interactions during those prolonged lockdowns and quarantines have caused a lapse in their ability to socialise in an in-person group setting. So Tracy Ho, who's a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning, joins me now to share what she's been seeing in her practice in terms of children struggling a little bit with socialisation and how us parents and caregivers can set the right pace for re-socialization. Welcome, Tracy. How are you today? Hi, Juliet. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to see you again, Tracy. Looking lovely as always. Um, Tracy, I mean, you know, speaking of COVID-19, we do know that that public health crisis sort of spawned many other crises, isn't it, right? Um, yeah. Even uh, as we, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, impacted kids' socialising skills. You know, we saw daycare centres closing, kindergartens, schools, all of that. Routines were upended. Firstly, I just wanted to talk a little bit about routines, right? I mean, do you believe that they are important for children? Uh, and if so, why? I mean, I believe that they are hugely important for children um, and so does the research. The research says that routines make children feel safe, that they give them some like predictability because I think as children, they don't have a lot of control over their lives. Like, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't get to decide what your routine is. But, um, and it can be very kind of, I guess, destabilizing if one day you have to do this tomorrow you have to go there like and there's no routine right mm -hmm. so um well the research says that children feel a lot when safer and more grounded and when they feel that it is much better for their ability to explore um to take calculated risks it's better for their cognitive development and academic development as well and I mean, as parents, I think a lot of parents know that if there's no routine, then the sleep cycle is quite disrupted, right? And yeah. when children don't sleep properly, that has a whole like set of knock-on effects, which is completely like on its own, right? So yeah. I think, yeah, they're hugely important. Okay, so that's why I guess, you know, all those closures, all those routines being upended, as I mentioned, um, that would have affected, isn't it, kids, um, you know, the closures we face. We do know that it was also said to have affected all those millions of students, right, putting their learning, their development, their mental health at risk as well, right? I mean, would you agree that that's pretty much what happened as well? Yes, I think it was so hard for kids because they were used to waking up and like getting ready to go to school, putting on their school bag, you know, like... I heard stories about so many kids like actually taking their school bag and saying to their parents like, oh, you know, let's go, you know, it's time to go to school. And then the parents have to tell them, oh, no, not yet because mm -hmm. we're in lockdown. And then depending on how old they were, some of them were then put on a screen, which yeah. is much, is not the same experience, right, yeah. as being in school in person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that whole routine being disrupted was very disorienting. Even if they were older and they could cognitively understand it, a lot of our kids actually became quite depressed and just stopped doing the work that they were supposed to do, became very unmotivated, um, yeah, played a lot of online games when they were supposed to be in online school yeah. because, yeah, like 
like I we had that experience because like um, one of our parents said, you know, can they come to your center to to do the online school because at home the internet seems to be going haywire and we said, okay, fine, you know. Yeah. And we would be like, hey, you're playing games. <laughs> and like, yeah, when we're walking past them, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, but my teacher doesn't know. <gasps> Dirty fellows. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Because I mean, so, half of the joy of school is, you know, being those interactions, isn't it? And I mean, just we talk about kids, us adults, you know, when our routines were completely thrown, you know, into the fire, so many of us couldn't, you know, deal with it or cope with it, right? What more the kids? No, yeah, exactly. And come on, I mean, even as adults, I think if you had to work from home and you knew that you wouldn't be caught by whoever, I mean, maybe you're cooking, frying an egg, you know, when you're supposed to be doing something else. I mean, it can be very innocent, right? But yeah. as adults, if we're doing these things, we can't expect children to just sit in front of a computer and attend online class. Yeah, it's, yeah it, was, it was a lot. And I mean, thankfully, we're out of it. But I think a lot of us parents, you know, especially during those times, we were, we were very anxious about our kids, you know, missing out on those sort of normal life experiences, right? Um, um, stuck in front of the screens, as you mentioned. Uh, and, you know, growing up in a socially distant world, because I, I remember when my daughter went back to school, even then, they're not allowed to to be with their friends, you know, they're not allowed to sit and interact. And it was really terrible for them. Um, you know, what do you think the effect of all that isolation and all that disruption that the kids face, you know, uh, what has, has the impact been or what might it be on the kids, especially during their critical early development years? I think that it has definitely taken a toll on two main areas, verbal expression and social development. Mm -hmm. And those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Because I think that when you spend a lot of time just with your parents um, and, you know, if your parents have a lot of time to interact with you, I think already that doesn't mean that you don't suffer any impact on social development because your parents don't interact with you in the way that peers do. Parents tend to, you know, give in to you. If you want to play something, they will play with you, right? They don't say, no, I don't want to play. I want to play something else, right? Or like, oh, no, I want to be princess today. I mean, most parents (laughs) won't have that argument with their their child, right? They take the, the path of least resistance, often and also it's a very adult thing to give in to children they don't have a fit when they don't get to start a game Mm -hmm. they don't get a fit when they lose a game Mm -hmm. and these are all things that children miss out on and that takes a toll on their ability to socialize and problem solve And, and learn to negotiate as well right yeah and and to try and get what you need or what you want in a way that is socially appropriate. Mm -hmm. So what has happened, at least in a lot of preschools, is the teachers have said that the children don't know how to express themselves verbally. So what happens is that they end up crying a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get a lot of students referred to me because of the fact that they seem to be emotionally very dysregulated because maybe typically they can express themselves and say, I want this or I need that, or this happened. And instead of that, they just cry when they don't get what they want or what they need. Okay. Um, and they can't communicate that, yeah. And there's a lot more like physical stuff as well. I think a lot of kids, uh, apparently some schools are having a lot of biting um, oh. among their like year one, year two, grade one, grade two kids. Um, like, like they don't get what they need. 
and they bite. Okay. Yeah, it's becoming more common. Um, and they they themselves say that you know we've never seen this before. Yeah, that's so and interesting. Is it just sort of is that a just a very sort of primal sort of reaction? Is, uh, speaking from no no knowledge, nothing whatsoever. I'm trying to make sense of it. <laughs> I don't know what teacher said to me. It's almost as if they heard that that's what you do. Like, oh, so-and-so didn't get what he needed. So he he bit that person. So now I'm not getting what I need. So I'm also going to bite. So um, it's like yeah. very animalistic. Yeah. And it's also a very uh, young way of dealing with things. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm not sure if it's got to do with some kind of like social developmental delay, right? So when younger kids don't get what they need, or what they want, they sometimes bite. Mm. And it seems as if it's happening older, at an older age as well. So, you know, this is not like research. It's like anecdotal evidence and from stories, right? Yeah, but it's yeah. still very interesting. And interesting to note also that you're saying these are things that, you know, you're seeing uh, post-pandemic, right? As, as you know, yes. we all and went back into school and work and normal, quote-unquote, normal life. Correct, yeah. Okay, okay. And I think sometimes a lot of these kids have not had as much preschool experience as their older peers who didn't really go through it as early as them. Mm -hmm. So they haven't had as much preparation to navigate these um, things, right? And it's a much more stressful environment academically when you're going straight into school and you've kind of missed a lot of preschool. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, because I, I was reading some other things and they also said, you know, some of these kids have, you know, really gone through some really trying times. You know, they may have lost loved ones, you know, or or witness, you know, the stress of their parents losing their jobs or, or you know, losing losing their parents even, right? Um, and just yeah. facing stress, you know, really in stressful situations, right? I mean, that will also uh, come to impact the kids as well, isn't it? Even if they were just sort of passive observers of, of all of this. Yeah, of course. I mean, children are like natural psychologists, right? Mm -hmm. And we all know that. Like, it is less about what you say and more about the energy. I think anyone who has been around children know that if you're having a bad day, that kid is going to know almost immediately. Yeah. Even if you try and say, you try and be chirpy and try and be, you know, as positive as you can, they pick up on the energy and it has been a very stressful time for all the adults, you know. Yeah. And I think that as natural psychologists, they know that it's really just a difficult time. And they don't, uh, it's, it's scary, right? Yeah. We are scared too, right? I mean, we were very scared. And I, I think a lot of people are still scared about not just the virus, but the economic situation and all these other things in our world that is happening. It's almost like the world's going crazy yes, yes. with the energy crisis in Europe with the war and everything. And they pick up on all these things and I think they internalize it as well, even if they can't make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, we'll just go for a quick break, Tracy. When we come back, you know, I just I was just hoping that you can really sort of lay down why you know socialization is so important for children. I'm speaking today to Tracy Ho. She's a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning. We're talking about how we can help kids redevelop their social skills post pandemic because you know we I think even in Tracy's uh, practice, she's been seeing a lot of kids not doing so well in that area. Uh, so we'll we'll discuss that after this quick break. You're listening to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture, BFM eighty nine point nine. 
Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me on the line today is Tracy Ho. She's a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning. Uh, we're talking about kids, you know, redeveloping social skills post-pandemic because, you know, we saw during all of those lockdowns, all of those, you know, school closures, daycare centre closures, routines were upended, you know, kids sort of didn't have the normal interactions that they usually do. And that has come uh, to impact, you know, the way they sort of, like, I guess, navigate uh, social life, you know, outside of the house. Um Tracy, can you help lay down, you know, why socialization is so important? Like just a really one-on-one, you know, why, why, yeah, why do kids need it? <laughs> well, let's think about our school experiences, right? Like, like other than just a transfer of knowledge where we learned academic stuff, we learned how to navigate, like solve problems, right? Yeah. And I think that um, in a natural setting, right? And it's all the things that they need to carry to their adult lives. Like, how do you solve a problem when you don't, you can't have what you want? Like, it's not everyone who gets to start first in a game, for example. Yeah. So how do you come up with a solution, right? Of like, okay, let's negotiate. Yesterday, you already started first. Today, can I start first, right? Or just something simple like, oh, okay. Ah, but I also want to start. Okay, let's just do rock, paper, scissors, right? Yeah. Um, and let's see who gets to start. And it's very simple stuff that children go through, um, but it teaches them how to get what they need mm. and they need to navigate that. Like that's just one side of things. And that and the other stuff is like, I don't know, like how do you how do you join a group, for example, right? Like if a bunch of kids are playing already. Mm. How do you then go in and join the group without like being disruptive? Because I think a lot of this is what a lot of kids struggle with now because they've had very few experiences of groups and a lot of things have been one on one. Mm -hmm. So they're okay interacting with adults, but then they don't know how to join a group when the kids are already playing. So what can sometimes happen is that they don't know how to say, like, hey, can I play? Or like they can't tell if the group is kind of too intense in an activity. So like if kids are already intensely playing something, you it's not appropriate, right, to go and join the group and say, I want to play now because they're in the middle of the game. Yeah. And kids will just tell you, no, we're already playing Uno. Like wait, right? And if you kind of can't read that and you take it as a rejection as well, then some kids feel actually very bad about themselves because, oh, I asked them to play a game and they don't like me. But actually, that's not the case. That's not what's actually happening. It's just that they're going in and in a period when they're already in the middle of the game, right? And if they don't learn these going into adulthood, then they're going to learn to read social cues pretty wrongly. Right. Um, a lot of people also, uh, a lot of children actually struggle to, like when we say, we do this thing where they're being social detectives, Mm. And they have to go around and look and try and guess what people are doing. They're having quite a lot of trouble doing that. Okay. Because they're not able to read the bodies. Like they can't tell if people are having an intense conversation or a social conversation that is pretty, you know, uh, light, light. They can't read those things. And if you can't read those things, then you don't know when is a good time to approach the group, right? Um, yeah. yeah, and if as adults we don't know, we can't read those things, then we're going to read social situations very wrongly. 
Um, and when I show children sometimes photos of things that are quite common, like, you know, the photo is of a football coach talking to another, to his, you know, to his football player, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The coach is clearly older and the, the player is like a kid. Okay. And there are some, like two other kids in the picture who are looking at them. And I ask children, like, what's happening? And they say that, oh, he's complaining to his father that he's tired. Oh. Yeah. And I say, like, oh, okay, so you think that this is the father? Yes. I'm like, oh, where are they? Right? And they're very clearly standing on a pitch, like a field, right? And children sometimes can't say that because they haven't had that experience. So they say, oh, I think it's like a sports place. Um, yeah, so it's kind of very vague and they don't have the background experiences to be able to tell you that, okay, you know, it's a field. These are football players because they're clearly wearing very long socks and wearing football boots and that kind of thing. So because I think of the fact that they're not out very much, mm -hmm. um, they are missing out on a lot of the background knowledge, you know. Yeah. All these missed sort of lived experiences, isn't it? Things we take for granted because we you know, never had to deal with those sort of you know, closures and lockdowns, isn't it? Exactly. And like we just assume that why wouldn't they know, yeah, you know, yeah. if they've been in school, they'd play football. But we forget that, okay, football actually was not allowed for a very long time because it was considered a contact sport, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that kids um, were not playing football in the way that you normally do, even if they're given a ball. I was told that in schools, they would say like, okay, you take turns to kick the ball so that it's not like a contact thing where you're actually playing. Wow. So they don't have that experience. Okay, okay. And I mean, you're someone who specialises in supporting students who learn differently as well, right? I mean, that was a whole different experience for them as well, isn't it? I mean, in your practice, what sort of issues or cases were you presented with, you know, as we came out of these lockdowns? And I guess even now, you know, in so many months uh, into, I guess, our freedom, if you want to call yeah. it that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of those who were, let's say, quote-unquote, neurotypical, it was easier for them to kind of pick up on things that they missed out on. But if you already have some kind of learning difficulty or some kind of delay, like speech delay and stuff, it's really a lot harder and you actually have to teach. Like what's happening a lot is that we're getting a lot of calls with people who struggle with social um, issues and social anxiety as well. Mm. So like they're getting into a lot of fights in school and what's actually the issue is that they don't know... Um, the hidden rules of society, that's the term that we use. It's um, from actually like, I didn't coin the term. It's by this lady called Michelle Garcia Winner who does this thing called social thinking. Okay. And she talks about these things called hidden rules. And we have so many hidden rules, right, in social situations. Yeah. And the hidden rules at home and the hidden rules at school are very different, right? Yeah. At home, when you come home, you might be kind of expected to give the adults in your house a hug if that's the norm in your home, but not necessarily in someone else's home or in school, right? So if you go to school and you expect your teacher to say, oh, hi, you know, I'm so happy to see you and to give you a hug and you don't get that and you think that, oh, it's because I've been naughty or she doesn't like me very much and you have a negative reaction to not getting that, yeah. then you don't understand that the hidden rules of school is that the adults in the school don't necessarily hug you mm -hmm. um, and hug every child, right? Yeah. Um, the hidden rules in school might be that 
you have to be kind to your friends, right? Or that you have to stay on topic. And those kinds of things are kind of different because hidden rules at home, when especially when you're the only child, very often when the child decides, your child decides to talk about something, the adults go along with it, yes. right? It's yes. not seen as, oh, you're completely off topic. But in school, if the friends are talking about, I don't know, superheroes, for example, and you start talking about the elevators that you like, that's seen as completely unexpected, right? Yeah. And then you'll be labeled as socially awkward and people might not want to play with you. But for you, it's like, okay, they are interested in superheroes and this is my interest and I want to talk about, you know, elevators or Tesla or whatever it is. And these kids are like, hey, hello, like, you know, you're not on topic, right? So we're getting a lot of the kids who are struggling to blend in or fit in in a social situation because they just don't know how. Okay, okay. And that has a lot to do with home versus, uh, I guess, public uh, interactions and things like that. Yeah, and I think we forget how complex it really is, right? Mm. Because the social situation is actually so complex. For example, you tell kids that they have to say hello, right? Yeah. And yeah. some kids take it literally. So every time they see you, they say hello. But actually, you only say hello once when you see them the first time that day. Otherwise, it becomes odd, right? Yeah. Like, so really, maybe I see you for the first time and say, hey, Juliet, good morning. How was your day or whatever? But if I see you again in an hour and if I say, hey, Juliet, good morning. How has your day been? It'd be like, what, what's wrong with yeah, you? you know? <laughs> like socially and, weird, Tracy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we don't think about these things. We tell kids, oh, you have to say hello. So... Some kids take it very literally and they say hello to every single person they see every single time they see them. Really? And then it's like, oh, he's being so weird, right? Um, you tell children like, oh, you have to make eye contact um, and you don't teach them that. Actually, you don't look someone straight in the eye because that's really creepy. But you kind of look like around their face. You look like, you know, next to their head a little bit. Sometimes you look at their chin, right? But you're not really looking them directly in the eye. And if you don't tell the kinds of kids that we get who have kind of missed out on a lot of these experiences, then they are not going to really be able to just kind of pick it up automatically. That's so interesting. Oh my gosh, the things we take for granted, huh? Um, right? Yeah, <laughs> gosh. And the fallout from that or the knock-on effect from that is that um, other kids might not want to play with them and that will then impact their sort of like their, their anxiety or their mental health or, you know, they might just feel awful about themselves, isn't it? Exactly. And then they don't want to go to school, right? Because they have no friends and they feel like the outcast. And that has a knock-on effect on the academics, right? They kind of, they don't stand alone. They all kind of go together. Yeah. 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 And then I guess from there also that might in some cases, I guess, uh, make them angry, right? And act out because they, they, they don't know how to express themselves as well. Yes, yeah, it makes them angry. And actually, if you struggle socially, you often also struggle with comprehension. Oh. And that's something that's quite interesting, like um, because you can't use the clues that have been given to you in the passage mm -hmm. to form a coherent picture because you can't do that in reality. Okay. So like, for example, like just like short passage like okay a woman jumped out of the van and she was holding a cake with candles and white frosting and when the door opened she began to sing 
Okay. And then I asked the child, like, what song do you think she probably began to sing? And it's kind of obvious to us, right? Yes. But I get all kinds of answers, like, ABC, my heart will go on. <laughs> I'm like, okay, why? Because it's a good song. Okay. I'm like, okay. Um, but, you know, and then we try and get them to think about what's happening in the picture, right? Yeah. Like in the story, like, yeah, you know, she's holding a cake though, like, and cake has candles. And they're like, oh, it's so hard for them, you know? so hard to make that connection that if there's a cake with candles that it's most likely going to be a birthday yeah. and they've missed that yeah okay, okay and maybe it's also because like they haven't really celebrated that many birthdays Correct. i don't know you know Correct. yeah so yeah. okay okay and I mean, on, on the other side, right, you know, are, are kids also, or have you been witnessing kids sort of experiencing uh, increased separation anxiety, you know, because, you know, a lot of them just spent two years at home, right? And maybe, you know, they had their family around them, their parents were at home. So this was like sort of like unprecedented time with family, isn't it? Um, did that happen as well? Yes. And so, you know, we've never ever said to parents in the past that they needed to come with their child mm. to when they came here for their sessions. Mm. And lately, it's been more common because when the parent is not around, we can't work on anything because we're just dealing with behavior. Mm. Like either a lot of crying or like huge temper tantrums that don't happen when the parent is around. Wow. So like the parent just needs to kind of sit and be like a fly on the wall, but they can see the parent and that for them is kind of enough. Okay. But in the past, this has never happened. So we have to kind of work through that. Like, okay, you know, because we have two floors. So we start with the parent actually being visible. And then we slowly move the parent further and further away. And then we move them downstairs. And then we tell them that, okay, you know, we'll do this activity upstairs. And then we're going to go downstairs uh, to do that. And they feel like, okay, because when I go downstairs, I'll be able to see mom. Mm. Um but it's crazy because that has never happened in the past. Okay, okay. And, and I, I, you know, gosh, yeah, I guess, yeah, unprecedented, right? Having all that time with your family. And, and do children also tend to feel overstimulated or perhaps socially anxious, you know, especially upon returning into the school setting or just, I guess, social and public settings in that sense, right? Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety with this big group stuff. Oh. Like very often it's like they, they are afraid like they're excited. Like, so some of them who are older, even like the teenagers that I work with, they can say like, you know, I'm actually really excited about going to the party, hmm. but I'm so scared. I'm like, okay. And what is it that you're afraid of? I don't know. I just, I just haven't been to a party in so long. I'm like, okay. So what do you, what do you imagine might happen? I don't know. I don't know how to talk to people. Or what, what if there's someone I don't know there? Or, you know, what? And I said, like, you know, have you ever been to a party where there's someone you don't know? Yes. Okay. Um, and how was that? I don't know. I don't know why I'm so scared, right? They cannot explain it. Yeah. But they can verbalize that they feel really anxious about it. And that was also the case about going back to school initially. Um, that they really, really wanted to go back to school because a lot of them were really sick of online school. <laughs> And they were so, so anxious about going back to school. Like they, 
you know, with the hair even, right? Like before that, you know, especially with the girls, like before that they didn't really care, right? But then suddenly it's like, now I like, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if my haircut is okay. Um, just things that we don't think about. But as teenagers, you know, they really worry about these things. They worry if their shoes are still going to be in fashion when they go back to school, if their backpacks have like been dated, like, should I still be carrying the same backpack? Will everyone be carrying a new backpack? Or will I be the only one with a new backpack? Yeah. You know, like, just things that they worry about that we don't think about. Yeah, yeah. I think even, you know, for younger kids, I can just speak for my daughter as well. Like, oh, I need this pen, you know, not that pen because everyone else has this pen. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't comprehend it, right? But yeah, it's, it's all about, you know, fitting in, I guess, right? Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so complex. I don't know. I think it's also because, I don't know, when I was growing up, Malaysia just wasn't as developed as a country. And now, because we are a bit more wealthy, I think the material side of things are a huge part as well of the fitting in. Mm-hmm. And when those things evolve, when you've been in lockdown, you haven't seen the evolution. So mm-hmm. you're anxious about how would have things how would things have changed, you know? And like, I don't know what to wear to this party because it's like, is this skirt still okay? Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. So many things again. So many things we don't think about. Um, Tracy, one more break we'll go for, and then when we come back, I just want to talk about, um, you know, how um, those kids who have had adverse childhood experiences, right? Whether that could push them towards uh, developing long-term problems. I'm speaking today to Tracy Ho. She's a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning. Uh, we're talking about, you know, how kids are sort of navigating world post-pandemic, whether they've lost their social skills, whether they're struggling with socialization, and you know, after this break, also we'll talk about how parents and caregivers can set the right pace again. We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me today is Tracy Ho. She's a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning. We're talking about how uh, kids are, I guess some kids, you know, are struggling with socialization uh, following the pandemic. And we're also, I guess, going to look for solutions on how we can get kids back on the right track. Uh, You know, Tracy, even though, I mean, cases are sort of okay, but some parents are still quite nervous about sending their kids back to school or sending them into settings with a lot of people. And I don't know, I've been speaking to some of my friends and I, I know that a lot of their kids, you know, over the last two years developed a lot of online friends. You know, I mean, that was the only way they could keep in touch, isn't it? But there are, of course, some dangers, I suppose, you know, uh, uh, related to that. I mean, have you been seeing anything like that in your practice? Yes, I mean, I think that it's hugely important for them to have online friends when they cannot have face-to-face interactions. But some of the issues with online relationships is that you have no idea who is on the other side. Because, like for example, when they play Roblox, they can chat with people within the game. And some of the people there don't seem to me like they're kids. Oh. And, the, and because they're so young, they actually can't tell. You know, they don't really realize and they can't smell the rat in the room, right? Mm. And they might be chatting on channels like Discord. It's like they can go on it and um, anyone can enter basically as long as the administrator lets you enter. And they might think that it's a, a channel where they're joining just to talk about the games that they play. But some kids have actually developed very close friendships with these people, their friends. When they tell me about it, I'm like, I'm not convinced that this person is a child. 
um, and that they might be adults that are in there, you know, and they can't smell the rat in the room, you know. Yeah, when, yeah. when you have a face-to-face interaction, you know exactly who you're talking to. You can read all the other things. Like, okay, how old is this person, for example, right? Like, you know, creepy man approaches a kid to talk about Roblox. He will immediately know that that's strange. But you can't tell when you're behind a screen. So I think we just have to be careful because it's it's a very tricky um, situation. Like, you do want your children to be able to interact with people online to keep the social interaction up. And at the same time, it's not riskless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what can parents do? You know, do they really need to sort of be there, sort of monitor who their kids are? You know, it sounds very helicopter parenting, but perhaps necessary in this situation? I actually don't even know because mm-hmm. the kids won't, won't, won't show won't you. Won't tell right? you, right? Like, yeah, yeah so. it's very, very private for them. Like, this is like my circle. It's very intrusive and it's going to make the parent-child relationship, I think, quite strained yeah, if yeah. they were to do that. I think it's really about giving children enough out of online experiences to give them actual safe social experiences, right? Yes, maybe you don't want them to have been in huge gatherings and I totally understand that. But if they have a few good friends that they see over the weekend, I think that that will be a much better way because they're there because they're craving some give them that social connection that's missing. They probably won't choose an online interaction over a, a face-to-face interaction because a face-to-face interaction is much more fulfilling, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you know, the, I guess it's, it's been so hard, isn't it, these last two years? And and I mean, all the research we were seeing, you know, coming out during the pandemic time is that we won't know the long-term impacts uh, until much later, of course, isn't it? And I mean, you're, as you've been sharing, you've been some anecdotal evidence of some of the, uh, I guess, yeah, knock-on effects, right, from all of those lockdowns and, and seclusion and, and isolation. But, you know, for kids who have had sort of adverse childhood experiences, right, I mean, could that actually push them towards developing some sort of long-term problems? So I think we maybe have to define what adverse childhood experiences are. And if we're going like to a technical, like what childhood experiences are in the technical side of things, they would be considered things like child abuse. um, And the abuse can be sexual, can be physical, can be emotional, right? Mm. Um, Neglect or having a parent with mental illness, or it can be um, having a parent who abuses substances, Right. So yeah. all these kinds of things are like um, technically the definition of adverse childhood experience. And at least according to the study that was done, I think it was a huge study on like 17,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. They found very, very long-term adverse effects yeah. for children who have experienced these um, adverse childhood experiences. They call them the ACEs. Um, yeah, you, you suffer things like, you know, in mild cases, you suffer like lack of job opportunities because they don't seem to be very successful because they can't seem to keep stable jobs. But then in much more extreme cases, they have severe depression, drug abuse, um, more, much more likely to commit crimes. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to be so so pessimistic, but that's really what the study shows, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we did hear during the pandemic, I mean, for those children who were in not so great situations, I mean, it was even worse because their parents were at home. I mean, if their parents or loved ones were the quote unquote uh, abusers, right? Um, 
they had no escape, right? Because sometimes school was the escape or, you know, that school was where people could identify the signs that something was going wrong. So there is, a, I mean, yeah, being entrapped in that situation for the last two years could have just exacerbated that situation as well. Would have exacerbated yeah, that situation. Yeah, exactly. For sure, you know, and and if it really leads to a whole population with depression, I mean, because it's also, there are also physical um, effects that they found yeah. in these people with adverse childhood experiences, right? Yeah. It's like increased risk, risk of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, you know, the whole works, right? Yeah. So we don't know what the knock-on effects will be as for the whole world, really, not just our nation, but the, for, for the whole world, right? Will we have much higher healthcare costs going forward? Because all these kids who had these adverse experiences then have cancer or diabetes, right? Like, we don't know that. We don't know if we will have a very unproductive population going forward because we will have a lot of people suffering from depression or mental illness. You know, we, we don't know yet, but yeah. we hope. I mean, I would hope that if they get the help that they need, that we can reverse these things because obviously we know that like the brain is plastic, that it's malleable and that nothing is really permanent and there's nothing that you can't fix, but then you need the correct interventions for it, right? Yeah. You need to make sure that you get them as early as possible before the problem becomes this huge insurmountable one. Mm -hmm. That if you recognize early signs of, of your child having these symptoms, that it would be good to get as much help as you can get as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. and, and that was actually going to be my next question. I mean, because, you know, the experts were, I was reading like, the experts, they do agree that they will rebound. Kids will rebound. Uh, as you said, like, we, if the correct interventions are in place, right? Um, how do we recognise signs, you know, that our child might be struggling uh, for whatever, you know, developing necess necessary social skills or they're have a, having trouble regaining their pre-pandemic social skills? I mean, what are the signs we should look out for? I think the first thing is like to just be clued in rather than like to listen right to what your child is saying you know because sometimes they don't want to disappoint their parents they don't they know that their parents are already stressed out so they don't want to tell the parents that actually you know I'm not enjoying school I actually hate it mm -hmm. um, but like some signs of anxiety might be that I mean nail biting and that kind of stuff are like kind of classic examples like not sleeping very well um, some kids are starting to bed wet again, mm. um, way past their, you know, their developmental milestones. Um, those are all like clear signs, but then you also have like much more subtle signs, like just things like they used to enjoy that they don't seem to enjoy anymore um, and try and figure out why. Maybe, okay, I mean, some kids really just lose interest, right? They want to learn ballet today, tomorrow. They want to learn tap dancing, that's like normal, but then there are some things that are quite clear that they were very passionate about before, that they suddenly lost interest or that they just don't seem as chirpy as, as they used to be. I think, you know, as parents, they know their children pretty well. Um, yes. And they know, I think if you feel like your gut tells you that something is wrong and something is not right, listen to it, right? Because sometimes you can't really explain that something is really going wrong, but you can kind of feel it. Yeah. And if you do feel it, then it would be good just to have open the conversation with your child, right? That you don't have to say like, tell me what's wrong, but just to say like, oh, you know, uh, I noticed that 
that sometimes you don't really want to do this anymore and actually you used to like to do it a lot. Like what's happening, you know? Yeah, or yeah. that, you know, they, they say they don't want to go to school. Ask them, oh, actually, why? What, what's happening in school that you don't like? You know, because they will probably be able to tell you what it is that they don't enjoy about school. Mm-hmm. And very often it can be the social situation. Like, oh, actually, I have no friends. No one, no one talks to me at re- recess. No one plays with me you know Um, or like um, they have one friend and that one friend is sick and they don't want to go right because that means that they'll be alone so it can be little things like that just I think being sensitive helps okay and and listen to your your gut as well right because sometimes I mean you just generally know when when something's off with your kids isn't it yeah Um, so once we've identified that right I mean what can we do I mean what are some um yeah, what can we do to help, you know, especially after all this this long period of socialization, yeah. I, I think it really depends on what the issues are, right? If it's anxiety, the, the intervention will be different. If it's really just a lack of social awareness, the intervention is different. So like, for example, if children come to us with anxiety, then they might come to see me for play therapy because that's to help with the social anxiety and stuff. But if they really lack the social skills, like the knowledge, then we actually teach it. We actually go through very, um, I, how would I put, quote unquote, like regimented steps almost, you know? Because, yeah, you, you can teach it. Uh, it's just that sometimes we don't think about it and like, you know, we just take these things for granted. Yeah, so some very basic things need to be gone through with them sometimes like sometimes they don't even realize that other people have thoughts oh gosh okay yeah <laughs> right yeah. like they know that they have thoughts but they don't realize that other people have thoughts as well and that they don't realize that it's okay for us to not have the same thought about oh. things so mm-hmm. that then we can go through things like what's a fact and what's an opinion because some kids will say like you know how can you say that roblox is stupid and they get into fights with their friends about those kinds of things um, because they kind of see things in one way and they can't take somebody else's perspective. Like if you ask them, I ask the kid, like, what do you think your mom would do if he was, if she didn't have to um, have all the responsibilities of a mom? And he said, no, I think she'll play PS5 <laughs> because he would play PS5, Of course, right? of course, yeah. yes. So it's, it's like, like, why wouldn't like, you, mom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So just those kinds of things, I think we need to go through with them because they can't. So it really depends, you know, on what your child is is struggling with. You know, if they're struggling academically um, because they've missed out on physical school and it was hard for them to learn online and a lot of kids have that, then you have to work on the academics, right? Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. will be different depending on who the child is. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm afraid we've run out of time, Tracy. But I guess, you know, um, there, there are ways to, to help. And of course, you know, I, just, I guess we just need to look for those signs and, and, you know, be as encouraging and helpful as we can. But overall, you know, do you think the kids will be all right, you know? I mean, provided, you know, we get them the right help. Of course, right? Yeah, but we need to remember that, that like, kids don't just bounce back on their own, right? They bounce back when they get the intervention that they need. So if you just think like, oh, the problem's going to go away, it, it might, but also it might not. So yeah, they just we just need to be mindful of those things. But yes, of course they can. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tracy, for joining me today. Any last message, sorry, that you'd like to leave us with? Um, I think just, just take your kids out when you can. 
give them as much, you know, social experiences as they possibly can because they've missed out on a lot. Okay. All right. So for, try and just make up for that time lah, in, in that sense as well, right? And just... Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Tracy, for speaking with me today. I've been speaking to Tracy Ho, a certified supervisor for play therapy at Hills Learning. We were talking about helping kids, I guess, you know, get back into this post-pandemic world, uh, redevelop social skills, or in some cases, develop social skills, uh, set the right pace for re-socialization. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash learn, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.